Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Helen Smallbone, the mother of Christian recording artists Rebecca St. James and the singers of the group For King and Country. So in 1991, we packed up 16 suitcases, six children, and me pregnant with our seven, and thereupon entered an adventure. Uh, Praise God, he went before us, but it wasn't a bed of roses at the same time. Patrick Herman talks with Helen Smallbone next. Christian recording artist Rebecca St. James and the group for King and Country have something in common, namely the same mother. Her name is Helen Smallbone, and she joins us today on Pilgrim Radio's His People. Welcome. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. So Rebecca St. James, Luke and Joel Smallbone of For King and Country, and four other kids, your husband David, and we're chatting today about your family and your amazing story of moving the whole clan from Australia to the United States. Uh, give us kind of a big picture of that, of what it looked like years ago. Yeah. Well, we, my husband and I have really, well, my husband's really been in Christian music since 1977. Uh, Rebecca actually attended her first uh, Christian concert when she was six weeks old. And it was a Larry Norman concert at the Sydney Opera House. And my husband uh, promoted, brought Larry out to Australia and promoted that concert. Um, and so, we were in Christian music for the ensuing 15 years, whatever, uh, approximately. And then at the end of the 80s, uh, he promoted a concert and it didn't go the way that he was hoping it to go and he actually lost a quarter of a million dollars. We had never lost anything like that before. I mean, you'd have you'd low times, but you'd be like, yeah, well, we'll trade out, whatever. But this one he knew was going to be major life change. Um, we had to sell our home. In Sydney, in the northern suburbs of Sydney, we relocated to Brisbane because it was a cheaper market, closer to family. Um, And then we realised that really wasn't still going to be enough. What was he going to do now? He had made the comment uh, when he turned, uh, it was about 40, 41 at this point, and he made the comment, if I keep doing concert promotion and management and, you know, he had a small record company in Australia, I'm going to die. It's just too stressful. And so he he sort of knew that he wasn't prepared with doors closing. He wasn't prepared to sort of try and open up doing Christian music in Australia anymore. So he was looking for a new opportunity. He had that by coming to America. So in 1991, we packed up 16 suitcases, six children and me pregnant with our seventh and thereupon entered an adventure. Uh, Praise God, he went before us. But it wasn't a bed of roses at the same time. And the story is such a big one. And you you just you brought us up to speed as far as why you came to America. You wouldn't have come here other than uh, having lost everything there. You're you're totally satisfied living there in Australia, right? That's correct. Wow. Yes, we were really enjoying what we were doing. <laughs> we, we, I mean, because he had a real sense of purpose. Yeah. He was. Uh, we were already aware that Australia was uh, fairly instrumental like they were before their time with the praise and worship movement and that he was involved in that in recording that he was bringing in he was distributing um christian music throughout australia and then he was doing some local recording as well and then we were doing the concert promotions so we were really involved in christian music in australia and you're right other than the fact that you were only as good as the last tour in a way 
and the stress that was involved with that, um, we were quite content to stay. And your book called Behind the Lights, I think it's interesting that you are just so candid. You're so, as far as I could see, honest in writing your book, which brings up the question, you know, you talked about some of the kids, all, the, the small bone kids having tantrums or different things, um, big things in life. And you brought up their stories. Was there any kickback from the kids? Did they say, Mom, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, it's been a fascinating journey for me because really last year was the, the you know, my time that I was writing. And I got to the end of it and we're editing and I do have a co-writer and uh, and she she was a great contribution. I absolutely love the experience of working uh, with her. And uh, we got to the end of it and I'm reading the final edits and I'm just like, you know, Lisa, do you think that I should just get the kids to read some of their parts? Because it's it's not just my story that I'm talking about. It's actually their story as well. And do you think I should just run a by them? And she came back and she was like, no, don't you dare. If you do that, you've just you've ruined your memoir because they're going to mem- remember things differently to you. That's the way life is. Yeah. We all remember different elements. And she said they will confuse you and it will ruin it. Don't do it. So I'm like, oh. Makes sense, okay. So when the book actually came out and I got copies in hand, I'm passing them. I tell you, it's incredibly vulnerable yeah. passing out a creative work in a way. I mean, and I'm passing it to the people that it's sort of written about and I write a forward in the front of their books and sort of um, then I sit, you know, chewing my nails like, well, what are they, what are they going to do? So, so it's interesting because both my girls said, um, don't have the emotional energy to read it. Sorry, it's going to bring up stuff and I just don't want to go there yet. Fair enough. I, I mean, I respect that. That's a boundary. You know, I respect that. I think Libby has read her chapter because um, I do actually have a whole chapter on her and that's what I went back to her then and I said, well, just so you know, other people are reading your story. You may <laughs> want to just uh, fill yourself in so you know what I've got there. Um, and so she said she cried all the way through it mm. and uh, that uh, she felt that there were some healing elements, that she understood more nice. what had taken place in her in her life. Yeah. And she said it actually made her now want to go and read the whole book. I have not heard back from Rebecca yet, so we'll see where Rebecca's at. She's on vacation this week, so... Maybe she'll have enough emotional energy this week to read it. <laughs> However, she may get to a point where she doesn't want to spoil the vacation either. So I don't know. The boys have had interesting elements. I've had um, a daughter-in-law who was really, she said, I just loved it. I loved every element of it. I, um, just thank you for writing it. I've had one son who's completed it. Not many comments from him. So, you know, that's okay. Um, I've had the comment of, I was surprised that it was your voice. Um, it was so blatant and in your face. And I'm like, how does that work out? My voice, blatant and in your face. Does that mean I'm always blatant and in your face? And he was like, thought, he's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. I had another son who said I'm halfway through and I'm intrigued with the stories that you've included and the ones that you've left out. Yeah, right. That's an interesting element. And that's about as good as it's gotten from the family. Yeah, well, that's the perspective for sure. And you were, you mentioned the girls. You mentioned them first, which was interesting. They're your bookends. You have two girls that's on the outside correct. and you have the five boys in between. And uh-huh. I thought it was fascinating. There are lessons of faith and God's grace throughout your life written through the book. 
And I love that you start out the book with the message that more than a mere memoir, part of your mission for this book is to encourage other families and to live differently, to get them out of their box. Tell me a little bit about what your what the motivation was for you. Yeah, this is really a passion of mine to encourage Christian families to not be afraid. I think our culture tells us that our lives need to look a certain way, that we need to um, own our own home, that we need to send our kids to good schools, they need to have a good education, that we need to have health insurance, we need to, you know, have our two people, two cars, one for her, one for him. Culture puts these expectations and norms on our lives that we sometimes are subtle, we don't even necessarily realise. I have a feeling that God a lot of times is putting on our hearts something that's different, something that looks risky, selling it up, doing something different, going overseas, maybe going into inner city ministry. I don't know, buying buying a property and doing something in ministry on it. I, whatever, we're all got different stories. And we're scared. We're scared because we don't know how it's going to work out financially. We don't know how it's going to impact our family. We don't know how we're going to provide in the way that we think is the right way of doing it. And I, I suppose, I don't think, there are many families that God is going to ask to travel to the other side of the world with six kids and no health insurance and being pregnant and not even having a nest egg yeah. to rely back on. Um, I just don't think he's going to ask that of many. And so my hope was that if I tell our story as blatantly and as honestly as I can, that other people are going to look at their stories and think, he was only asking us to. Yeah. I think we could probably do that. What you're really doing is you're speaking into the lives of of men who really take this the brunt of all of this on their shoulders. The women, the wives do too. But you're speaking primarily into the women's lives right now with what you're doing with your podcast. But speak to the men right now because this really is a message for them, isn't it? It is. It is. It's a message for both because the women have to have to support their husbands through it. And I think one of the vital parts. Um, that David has now really realised how our story could have changed so dramatically that if in his failure I hadn't have supported him and walked with him through that journey. So uh, we've got to remember that as husband's wife we're one, we're together, we're on the same team. We have to root for one another, we have to encourage one another. I believe in the marriage relationship that we complement each other, that together we are strong. We're, we're, we're stronger together than we are separate. And so for men, they do take their role as protector and provider seriously. And David does too. And so for him to have lost everything and not be able to provide in the way that he would like was a very hard season for him. But what it did, it grew him. And now, and, and I suppose this is where I'm so encouraged because even though life doesn't always look the way that we hope it will or dream that it will it can even look better and yeah. because Ephesians 3:20 is now one of my life verses which is God can do much much more than anything we ask or imagine and that's for these men as well if we trust God he provides i've seen money come from left field that provided for us when we shouldn't have had it I've seen people love on us in ways that was extraordinary yeah. and only God can lead them. And that, and now I've seen 
my husband, who at a time came through a very broken season, his attitude now is it's all about ministry. God will look after the rest. If you put him first, God will look after the rest. And I think that's the challenge to the men. You're not the provider. God is. If you put him first and you serve him, he'll look after the rest. Amen to that. You you know, and you were working with such big names. And I think maybe you think about Rebecca St. James and the whole family, you know, uh, making money really because of that young girl and just her talents. And now Luke and Joel Smallbone. And But people don't realize that even though you were working with such big names, and we're talking about Keith Green, Chuck Gerard, Randy Stonehill, and like you said, Larry Norman, that things really fell apart. You, at one point in the book, were mentioning how you and the kids would go out and rake leaves and do yard work and landscaping for people there in Tennessee. That must have been extremely humbling, but... In an amazing time, you you were saying that it brought unity to the family. Yeah, yeah, and and frankly, I don't care. I I, mean, I love yard work. I I don't. Yeah. The work. I suppose I have a mentality in my mind, and there's a Bible verse that says, "Whatever we do, do unto the Lord." I don't care really what I do. I mean, I've raised seven children. I've done a lot of wiping of bottoms. I've done a lot of cleaning up of, you know, vomit, whatever. It's just whatever you do. You do unto the Lord. So those were opportunities that opened to us that were going to provide cash to buy groceries. I mean, am I going to sit back and say, yeah, no, not today. I don't no. think so. I, yeah. I, can't, I can't see myself getting out there and raking those leaves. I mean, you've got an opportunity. You, you, you step forward or else, I don't know, it'd be too much for me to expect God to provide for us if I'm not prepared to play my part, however uh, the other, uh, however humble it is. But the other thing is that I feel very strongly about, Patrick, is we model, and it's what I love about being a mother, we, we are a mum, we serve our families in whatever it looks like. We're cooking meals, we're wearing a bunch, bunch of hats, we're we're doing laundry, we're cleaning, you know, we're doing all the things that being a mum entails. And a lot of them aren't glamorous. I mean, a lot of them are very mundane, ordinary jobs. But what I love about it is we are actually modelling after Jesus because Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so as a mum, I remind myself and I remind other mums, when we're serving our family, we're actually modelling after Jesus because that's who he came to be, to be a servant, not to be served. Well, this is Pilgrim Radio's His People, and I'm speaking today with Helen Smallbone, author of the book Behind the Lights, and she's also the mother of Christian recording artist Rebecca St. James and Luke and Joel Smallbone of For King and Country. Helen, it seemed to me in the book, though, it really transitioned from the whole family raking leaves, doing whatever they could to make ends meet, to working these concerts and actually working for Rebecca St. Not for her, but with her, Rebecca, and and making sure that uh, the lights were on and the audio and the <laughs> fog machine. Uh, so, uh-huh. And the whole family has just always had that mindset, haven't they? They have. They have. And I actually think people have asked where it came from. They were like, how did you get the kids to work willingly? Yeah. I don't think they ever second-guessed it, to tell you the truth. I think we had started that philosophy when they were toddlers back in Australia, when we were doing mail outs. And I think the the description of the job changed, 
But I think every child realised their hands mattered. And I, I sometimes look at our disgruntled teenagers and young preteens now, and I think they, I question whether they really have a sense of purpose, whether they really understand what it means to work. And so, you know, if you're looking through that lens where your child is given everything, then yes, what we expected of our kids probably does look extreme. And, and probably we are pretty extreme anyway, but I just wonder whether there's more we're not doing in our Western culture to uh, grow a work, a healthy work ethic and make kids feel worthwhile even as very young ages. Mm -hmm. So more than just unity in the family, it actually gives so much more. Tell us a little bit about Mum Life, and that's your podcast. Uh Yes. um, About five years ago, I partnered with a younger mum to... uh, to do a sort of uh, a national organisation called Mum Life Community. And Mum Life, Mum actually stands for Mothers Uplifting Mothers, so it's spelled M-U-M, which is the international, so Australian, it's my little comment um, of, uh, on, on the organisation. So it's Mothers Uplifting Mothers. And it's a mentoring group where we follow a Titans 2-4 model where the older women come alongside the younger mums and encourage them in their families and to love their husbands and really, this has become a, a, a heartbeat of mine because I grieve at the way Satan is destroying our families, our Christian families. It grieves me to see families hurting, I suppose. And, and so I want to do what I've got with the passion and the breath that God gives me to encourage mums because they're really the hub with which the family revolves around. And if I can encourage a younger mum on her journey, then I think it's been a good day. That is great. You just were at an event that uh, Joel and Luke from For King and Country decided to put together a song for you, Unsung Hero. And uh, I just got a chance to listen to it today. It's a beautiful song. It's a tribute to you. And well, let's just hear a portion of it. Here it is, Unsung Hero by For King and Country. For all the times I fell down Show me how to stand And when we cross the ocean You're my safe place to land Been on a thousand stages When it's all said and done I hope I make you proud of Of the man that I've become To be strong like my father Even when I'm scared And when someone's in trouble I'll never leave them there And I love like my mother Like there's nothing to lose You're my unsung hero And I sing this song for you It really is a beautiful song. How did that strike you, realizing these kids, they wrote you a song? Yeah. They played it for me for Mother's Day last year. I was aware that there was a song out there that they had written for me. Um, they came and visited a year ago and uh, played it for me. Um, it was very humble. I tell you what, the video just made me weep mm. because they had gone back. Uh, well, I, I think I wept when they played it for me too. But the video, go- the video goes back and shows 
some videos that, because you know when that many years ago 40 years ago we didn't do video I mean I filmed that much and to see these old films that I don't even think I've hardly ever seen and then put together stills in there it's it's quite quite beautiful I know I'm very loved by all our kids um I, it made me feel very loved by Joel and Luke that they would write that but I accept it because every mum isn't, in my view, every mum is an unsung hero. I, I view motherhood as the hardest, most rewarding job on the planet. And in a way, I think we take it for granted as a, as a culture. And for them to have sat back and actually thought about what a mum does was very touching and meaningful to me. And so my hope is that it will encourage other mums as they, you know, care for their families. Well, you, we were talking about Joel and, and Luke Smallbone, but let's talk a little bit about Rebecca St. James. And I even just saying that to her mother, her last name is Smallbone, yet <laughs> we all call her Rebecca St. James. And I know that takes away from really the family unity that you guys have going to, but DeGarmo and Key, tell us the story. I, our listeners will know who Eddie DeGarmo is. Tell us how yeah. she got that last name. Yeah, so Eddie DeGarmo was uh, working at Forefront Records. He was the A&R guy there. He was the one who signed Rebecca. And not long after she was signed, he sat David and Rebecca down and said, listen, Smallbone, um, it's not really a marketable name. Uh, I, just, I just don't. And he said, I would not. My experience, he said, DeGarmo was a pretty obvious name as well. And I wouldn't encourage my daughter, who's the same age as Rebecca, to have that distinctive a name. He said, for one, it sounds, it, it doesn't sound Australian. It probably sounds American Indian or, you know, that sort of, you know, name uh, more so. But then he said, I, I think you need a new surname. And she was like, just, and so he pulled out Rebecca St. John. And she was like, she was so offended. She yeah. just came home and she said, Dad, Dad, they just can't pull out a name from nowhere and just say, okay, this is your new name. Like, it's just not right. I sort of get the small bone may not be a great name either. And she had done her first album that we recorded in Australia when she was uh, just turned 14. She was called Rebecca Jean. But we knew that probably wasn't going to be a long-lasting name. But she was sort of pulling at straws and then, we thought, well, what about a family name? What about if we just do a family name? And, and we were discussing family names and it was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then we called up David's mum and uh, David's father had not long died before and she and her sweet, gentle voice said, what about James in memory of David's father mm. who had just died? And Rebecca was like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. I will wear that name proudly right. in representative of my grandpa. And not feel like she's lying or cheating, but is actual no. a family name. Yeah. So that's it's just beautiful. A family name. And you homeschooled the kids throughout the years? Amazing. All seven? Yeah, I started into homeschooling back in Australia. And then when we arrived in America, so I was about six months in when we arrived in America, we, we were so feeling culturally exposed, shocked, whatever. We just had, uh, we arrived, we, by the time we settled in the Nashville, it was into September. The schools had already started. I was feeling such culture shock, such 
Oh, yeah. being overwhelmed. I could not, I couldn't have handled the kids going to school, let alone the kids handling going to school. So we, I just said to David, could we just continue for another year? <laughs> and then by the time we continued for a year, it was like, yeah, we're not going back to that. <laughs> we're going to stay go to school. And, no. and it allowed us to be together and to live a, a different life. But I know, obviously, now the life that God had planned for us. Yeah, and they're still working together. These kids. Yeah, the five boys all still work together. So Daniel is the oldest brother. He um, designs their staging, programs all their lights, and runs all the lights. So he actually travels with them. Ben um, is the videographer. So he writes and videos all their um, all their videos, music videos, and he has. Uh, some um, at least one, I think multiple sort of movies under his belt. He hasn't done the total directing, but he's done pieces. Um, and then he's going to do more in the in the movie arena. Then there's Joel. Then there's Luke and Josh. Josh, the youngest, is actually their day to day general manager. And in believe it or not, Josh just manages all our lives. Josh is the youngest boy, Libby's the youngest uh-huh. girl, and Libby's the only uh-huh. one that was uh, born in America. Uh-huh. She's really- Can we say yeah. she's a little different because she was born here, but she absolutely <laughs> hates when we say that. But yeah. And she's actually a singer too. I was just looking it up while you were talking, uh, Who Would Imagine a King? She did that song uh, for Christmas not too long ago, and I think she's actually probably the, the, the next one that might be breaking into the musical industry. Possibly, you know, she, I've realized we have tried to encourage her. She's a, she's a creative. I believe, I believe she has the female voice of Luke. So I, I see Rebecca and Joel sort of having sort of similar voices. And then Luke and Libby have very similar voices. She's a creative. Um, she's traveled that different journey of uh, being chronically ill. And so confidence, etc. To be creative, and that's what I've realised for these kids, to throw, to be creative and then be ex- sort of exposed by throwing it out there to, in front of people, there's a certain vulnerability that takes place in presenting your art out there. And I don't know that she's got the confidence yet to do that. So I keep praying. I know she's got to know when the right time is for her and that God has his hand on her life. Yeah. And I know very strongly that God will redeem the years that the locusts have stolen from her. But Libby is now 30, so she has to make those decisions and choices on her own. Well, Helen, leave us with an understanding of really this full ministry. I think even at the end of the book, you make an appeal saying, I don't know where you are on your journey, but here's where I am. And I think at the beginning of the book, you said, if the Helen I am today could speak into the life of the Helen I was then, I would say to pray. Pray about everything. Give us some ending or final words about uh, what would you tell our listeners about this journey? Um, Put Jesus first. I think the thing that our journey has made me realize is we serve a big God who we probably do not trust as much as we should uh, he is faithful and he is good. Even in the hard times, he is faithful and he's good. And look for his hand in the way that he's leading and guiding your life and put him first in everything that you do. And your book, Helen, is called Behind the Lights. You're getting into the limelight, though, yourself these days. 
<laughs> and yeah, how, out of my comfort zones. How can some? How can our listeners follow you or or even to listen to your podcast? Well, the podcast is called Mum Life Community on Access More, and it's available on any of your streaming uh, platforms. And then um, I have a Facebook page called Just Helen Smallbone and Author Page. Um, and you could also reach me, reach me at mumlife.org. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Helen Smallbone, author of Behind the Lights, The Extraordinary Adventure of a Mum and Her Family. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can be with us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People. His People.